to Loinlander, the most unofficial Outlander podcast on the internet, or anywhere. I'm your host, Megan. And for at least one more week, I'm your host, Joe, but who knows what's going to happen. I know, it's a little bit crazy in the world right now. Yeah, so we've Lots been, going on. There's a little thing called COVID-19, so yeah. hopefully when we go back and re-listen to this podcast in a while, we'll be like, we don't even remember that what that yeah, was. Yeah, what was the coronavirus? Ho- yeah, hopefully what was that? Hopefully it'll be a weird, inconsequential blip on our future, much like Megan's text message. Okay, I've turned my phone off. You won't All hear right. anything else now. Perfect. Um, so we're here today to talk about episode 505 perpetual adoration that's right it is a outlander episode of television and that's pretty much all we can say about it it's a wonderful episode of television first off second um you when you heard the title perpetual adoration you groaned and rolled your eyes i did groan but it's not in reference to romantic love did that help it at all no, not really, because I still don't really get what it was in reference to, if we're being honest about things. Oh my goodness. Were you not paying attention to the episode? You... Sort of. Oh my, I'm so sorry to all of our loin listeners, because it was... Our loinies. Our loinies. That's right. I'm embarrassed. I, I apologize on behalf of, of Joe. Um, the Perpetual Adoration was in reference to... Graham Menzies making reference that he had to go to the church every week. He never missed it. No, no, I got that, but I just didn't understand why that was the name of the... Anyway, but I, I just didn't really... Yeah, I mean, I, I understand what that meant. I just... I didn't think it was... It wasn't really an underlying theme of the show. It was more of a detail, but whatever. That's fine. It's just the title. Let's move on. So this episode <laughs> was written by two people, Allison Evans and Steve Kornacki. Okay, never heard that's, of them. That's significant because I have also never heard of them. And um, I thought this was an excellent episode and very beautifully written. Yeah, you you uh, hinted to me that you liked this episode a lot before I watched it, which I haven't got that hint in a while, so that was refreshing. Well, that's not true because I loved the last episode as well. Remember, yeah, I, I mean, was so just, excited about it. But this one, I would say I liked this one. Prepare yourself. I would say that I liked this one even more than the one before. Wow. Yeah. Because you liked it a lot. Mm-hmm. I really did. So it begins with a cold open in a church and immediately it's clear in the 1960s and it's so nice to see. It is. It's refreshing. Love 1960s Claire. And it's a it's reminder that it's a time traveling show. Yeah. I love that. That's right. Um, you commented on how much better she looks. <laughs> well, no. And it just, it's, it's not, I don't... I think I did say how much better she looks, but I didn't mean it in that way. I just meant uh, in the sense that it is striking what a contrast, like a stylish haircut and makeup. Like she looks very different. And not just, uh, not an age thing. uh, Because I feel like, Honestly, she actually looks older to me in the oh, flashbacks. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, like she looks very different. She does. But it's so realistic because if you were to fall back in time, you wouldn't be, Oh, absolutely. You know, yeah. She's got false eyelashes. She's got some very trendy eyeshadow, as you said. Wow, with a different haircut and a little bit of Sephora. Like she really looks different. Yeah. Well, and it's not, if anything, that's a... Uh, it's a compliment to Katrina Balfe because I didn't really, I didn't notice how little makeup, I mean, obviously she's an actress and on camera you wear a ton of makeup. Right. But like how, uh, how little 
you know, actual make, you know, costume makeup she she wore as Claire, which obviously makes sense when you think about it. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's just, uh, it's a lot more uh, glaring, I guess, when you then get to see, like, suave, sassy 1960s Claire all done up to the nines. Yeah, yeah. Then we go back to the 1700s and, dun-dun-dun, she's discovered penicillin. Yeah. And she says, I found it. She shares it with Marsley and Marsley is adorable, like so happy. Eureka, Claire, what does that mean? But it's a really nice moment between the two of them. I like how Marsley was all nervous about it. And like two episodes ago, she was maybe like, are you a witch? And now Marsley is all in. She's like, she is like right in there. Well, and did you notice what she said when she looked in the magnifying glass? She said, oh, it's paintbrushes. Because Claire must have explained to her what we're looking for is going to look like little mini paintbrushes. No, she's she's soaking it up like a little Scottish sponge. Yeah, it was a great moment. Mm -hmm. And And also, again, that actress crushed it. mm -hmm. She does. She crushes every scene. But uh, you called bullshit. (laughs) Yeah, I did. The opening credits began and I start sort of swaying back and forth and humming along and Joe turns to me and says, I call bullshit. (laughs) <laughs> well it, i mean this just goes back to the whole how the hell can super claire make penicillin just on her own out of moldy bread and i would like to say that one of our loinies who is a doctor uh came to my defense when i called bullshit on this last time and said that this is not something that she should be able to do um you know i, I know that everyone is probably gonna leap to the defense of uh the, the author herself, yep. Super Gabaldon, mm-hmm. and, and, and say blah, blah, blah. I just think it's BS. I mean, I, I don't know. But whatever. It's a fantastical show. Um, My, I yeah. also don't believe in time travel. So <laughs> I guess if we're going to suspend it's disbelief very that far. Real. Yeah, it's exactly, very real. Exactly. Okay. So the title card um, is when we learned that it was written by those two writers. And Claire is looking, she's sitting in the doctor's office lounge and she's looking through a bunch of magazines and she finds a romance novel. Right. Were you surprised at that or what was your thought at first? Because it's obviously a romance novel. Yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't get the, uh, I mean, I got obviously the play, you know, what they were going for after. I thought it was much more charming than a lot of the title cards have been recently. Like mm-hmm. there it, it, I, I like that it actually alluded to something and they yes. actually made reference to it at the end. And uh, I think it was clever and I liked it a lot. I want to say that Megan uh, actually wouldn't let me watch yeah. the uh, previously on. She told me, she actually stood in front of me and mm-hmm. told me to plug my ears. And close your eyes, yeah. And close my eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh so that I wouldn't get spoiled as to who showed up later in the episode. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and for me, of course, originally, as soon as I saw we were back in the 1960s, I was like really, really hoping to see Tobias Menzies, right? And I was like trying to gauge the situation. I'm like, has he died yet? Where are we at? Like, that's Claire with her amazing hair. She's lost a patient. What's happening? Is there any chance that I can get a little bit of Frank? And, um, but then... No. Yeah. But but then, no. Yeah. Hot no. You did get um, a serious homage to... Because the... The... um, Character. Character. Thank you. His name was Graham (laughs) Menzies. That's right. Which is a little wink, wink, nudge, nudge for anyone that was missing Tobias Menzies. It's like, there you go. You can hear his name. I mean, I can only assume. It had to have been. It could have been anything. I mean, I think it's interesting that they chose that instead of... um, 
you know, someone Frasier or yeah, I, Mackenzie I, or... I mean, it had to have been a, an homage, a, a little, a, like you say, a Easter egg, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Because it's like, I can't imagine that that character's last name was Menzies in the book. That would be like the most ultimate coincidence ever. That's not a very common name. Oh, and I wonder if the Graham was for Dougal. Maybe. Graham McTavish. There you go. I didn't yeah. even think about that. That's actually interesting. We didn't think about that at the time, but maybe. Just two of like those main guys yeah. who would really help them for the first that's few right. seasons, and now they're gone. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't Much think about like that. Much like he's gone, the character. Yeah. Sad. Mm. So after the title card's over, we then have, oh, it's just a powerful combination of Claire's voiceover talking about time and a montage of the last four seasons and a good montage not a super cheesy like claire and jamie like rolling around with each other like good montage claire in france with her friend whose name is escaping me right now and like when roger was introduced it was a really oh claire and frank as they skip along right before they got married like it was a so many different clips very quickly put together. Yeah. What did you think of that? I thought it was great. I thought it was a really good little little montage for sure. Yeah, we should have watched it again. Yeah. Just hit rewind and... I'll be all right. Okay. Then we have Sad Claire sitting on a bench in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when you commented again on how good she looks. She looks great. And you said... Uh, you know, God, somewhere out there, Don Draper is driving around trying to find her to buy her a drink, which is so true. Totally. She would totally be 100%. this type, even at age 50-something. Yeah, oh, God, he would, yeah. I don't he know. He would cheat on Betty for that. 100%. No problem. If any of you, that's a Mad Men reference for any of you that may, didn't, may not have watched the show. But yeah, 100%. Yeah. So, sad Claire sitting on a bench. Brianna joins her. She says, I've lost a patient. He was allergic to penicillin. Side note, did anyone else feel that Katrina Balfe had a cold in this scene? Like, her nose <laughs> sounded so plugged up. You and brought her it up so many times. voice was hoarse. Maybe I know these actors so well because I'm obsessed with them. But as soon as she started talking, I thought, oh, that doesn't sound... She must have had a, oh. a bad cough at this time or, like, a cold. Similarly, I am convinced that in episode... Mm, it's when they go back to Lollybrock in season one and Jamie tries to be... Brock Turok right after his father and he and Claire first tell each other that they love each other by the window. Listen to that scene. I swear Sam Hewen has a horrible cold. Like his nose is so plugged up. It's this really romantic moment because they say that they love each other for the first time. I've always truly believed that he has an awful cold and she has to turn around and like mouth to mouth him and I mean, she must have been like you wouldn't get, get away with that these days no 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 oh because oh, of yeah. covid19 yeah right so then we have roger and brianna post coital and you said roger's bringing back the beard again thank god you really prefer him with a beard yeah eh? he's not a good doesn't have a good clean shaven look especially with that bad ponytail wig not a good look. I don't think that is a wig. Remember, he was the one character that went method with his hair. I guess it's like down he, his shoulders. Yeah. Oh. So I think that their interaction here was actually kind of cute. She pretends to have a Scottish accent and he says, accent hasn't improved much, I see. And it's, it's cute. There's no um, tension between them. What did you think of their post-coital conversation? Anything? Did you notice anything? I try. Yeah, no, I, I it was... I don't really like either of these characters, so I just sort of like, mm-hmm. it's like Charlie Brown's teacher. It's like, wah, 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 no, wah, 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 wah. Joe, no, no. 
You no, can't. I can't no. say that. No. Okay. But he talks about what he should be doing because he was beloved at Oxford. He realizes that there are universities at this point, Oxford and Harvard. And she says, I could, I could teach math. Yeah, no. And I like that a lot. I remember that. And this is, again, one of those things kind of like where I said a couple episodes ago how, you know, like Roger is a historian. Like if anyone should be able to become super well off back in the olden days, it should be someone that literally knows everything that's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, And same thing where it's like you are far more educated than... I would say 99% of the people around you. Like, why are you not using this to your advantage? Why are you pretending to learn how to shoot and just, like, living in the sticks, making bread? Like, like yeah. you know, Brianna, correct me if I'm wrong, is an engineer. She's really, you know, like, yeah, she's so smart. And I do I do feel like that, and whatever, it's an, it's an adaptation. They can only take so much from the books. But I do find that they've diminished her character to sad victim of Stephen Bonnet yeah a little bit and and she is a strong character and she's a smart woman and she's a big woman like she's tall and like towers over a lot of the people of that time she's powerful the same way Jaffrey is powerful the same way Claire is powerful neither tall nor smart I know I know well the height they you know they cast who they cast they can't make her taller right and there's actually you know it's funny that I was thinking about that because there's a scene uh, it may have already happened in this when she's walking with Claire in the park. Mm-hmm. And Katrina, I mean, she, I'm sure Katrina Balf is wearing power heels, but mm-hmm. it's like she towers over uh, Brianna. Like, it's like yeah. she's like a head taller. Yeah. So the true hardcore Gabaldone book lovers, their I'm only sure issue, it. oh, yeah, their only issue with Sophie Skelton, because they don't, they're not, they're, not picky about the quality of acting I find but their main issue is that she is absolutely not tall enough she should be the same almost the same height as Jamie and she should certainly be towering over Claire but again that's casting right because Claire is supposed to be five foot four right she's not Katrina Balfe is five ten she's a model right right so Jamie's supposed to be extremely tall. Claire's supposed to be five foot four, and that's why when Claire has Brianna, it's so obvious that it's Jamie's because Brianna's six feet, long red hair. She's, she's, she's not really epitomized in the look of Sophie Skelton, who's like a ballerina with very dark hair and brown eyes. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> We've been down that road. Certainly, we have. So Jamie and crew arrive. At the next town, yeah. John Quincy Meyer on one side, oh, Fergus on the other. John Quincy says, uh, friendly buggers, aren't they? Because everyone just kind of right. cowers in the corner they as think they walk. Regulators, and right. Jamie really seems like a bad guy in this scene yeah. as he comes forward and just this towers is, over everyone yeah, on his horse. Sorry, well, this is actually something that um, I was thinking about in that scene because, yeah, you, you would think if they were. The militia, if he was a what, colonel, what was his rank? I can't remember. Colonel, yeah. But if he was given a military rank by Governor Tryon, and these were like militia, I mean, I know they were just militia, but if they were, uh, you know, under, sort of under the king, you would think they would have some sort of, uh, and maybe they didn't, I don't know, but you would think they would have some sort of, not necessarily a full uniform, but even just like 
an armband or like, like a blue armband or something yeah, so some, that people would know yeah, at to, first to denote that they were exactly yeah you, you know like you would think that they would have some sort of distinguishing something about them so that they wouldn't think oh my god this is just a giant mob of people with guns yeah <laughs> yeah 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 well they don't so jamie you know gets off his high horse and offers them each 40 shillings to join the army yeah doesn't go over yeah, like, that well yeah, they say hot no. Hot no. P.S. All the red coats are drinking our beer and taking up our space over there. Jamie's like, great, I'm looking for Knox. And then he finds him in the pub. Mm-hmm. And there's a really nice character beat when Knox first sees Jamie walking in. He's so happy. He's so happy. And he kind of starts bragging. Like he just beams from ear to ear. So before the with daylight left, I, I told them you'd I get know. here. I told Did them. Did I not tell you the colonel would oh. arrive as promised? We're just throwing knives. Jay Frey, come on over. So yeah, happy. so happy. Yeah. Jamie just kind of struts in. He's yeah. like, this is the typical reaction Pretty of people when really, I walk yeah. into a room. <laughs> yeah. um, but they are throwing knives at Murdy's face. Yeah. It kind of throws Jay Frey a little bit. It does. The governor is upset because Tryon has ordered a full pardon to every one of the regulators. And it's cute because Jamie just repeats what he says. And Knox is like, I know. I feel the same way after everything we did. Because <laughs> he assumes that Jamie's saying it. Jamie's just trying to, like, take it in. Right. But Knox assumes that he feels the same way he does. Like, yeah. I know. It's yeah. a blow, Jay Frey. Like, I'm with you. And then Jamie takes his glasses off. They have a conversation. Um, he tells him he's expecting a letter, uh, a list of the prisoners from Ardsmere. Yeah. Jamie's a little worried about that. Plays it cool, though. Yeah. I also want to say just about the Murdy poster. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, like, where they found, like, the most awesome police sketch artist in North Carolina. But, like, that is a cracking likeness of Duncan Lacroix. Like, <laughs> like that's like CSI Wilmington level. Yeah, like that it is, is, it like, is like it is basically they like photocopied a photo of him <laughs> yeah. and put it on the wall. Like, yeah, like, that, like I, I thought agree. That was, I thought that was like a shockingly good drawing considering oh by the way they can't find him so nobody knows what he looks like. Yet yeah. they have like this flawless <laughs> drawing of him. Anyway I thought it was kind of ridiculous. True. Something that had not occurred to me at all, but I love your interpretation of that. So then he asks Jay Frey to throw a knife at Murdy's face. And did you know that Jay Frey would miss it? No, I didn't know how, because he's done a pretty good job um, at this point of playing both sides. So I actually thought he'd nail it. Oh, you did? Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, maybe he just missed. See, I was thinking that it would be too painful for him to actually throw a knife into Murdy's face because he has been playing both sides. But I think we've always known and was certainly pr- proved later on in the episode that he is like Murdy is his pro Murdy. Yeah, he's he's his number one. Like he'll play both sides, but not when it comes to Murta, right? Yeah. After that, we have more voiceover about time with Claire, and I love it. The more voiceover, the better, as far yeah. as I'm concerned. And then we're introduced to her Scottish patient, right. who, of course, reminds her of Jamie, an older Jamie. His name is Graham Menzies. And it's so funny because we, we know that Claire is affected by him. We know that she likes him. But this first engagement between the two of them and interaction, she's sort of, um, she's charmed, but she's cool. Did you notice that? Yeah. Yeah, she is. This, And I, I will say, this kind of threw me a little bit. Because um, this episode 
took me a, a second to click in that this episode jumps around a bit. Oh yeah, so you were you were thinking, well, he can't be the one, right? Because yeah. she had already said I lost somebody with the pen, so I was like, oh well, this is the next guy it, mm. again. No timestamps in this show, so they they didn't put up like you know four days earlier or something like that. So I had no idea at the beginning that this was the guy. Yeah. So, spoiler alert, it was the guy. Right. And as she's walking away from him, after explaining everything that she has to do and how there's going to be a big scar, he says, it is but one more scar, nothing worth brooding over. And it almost stops her dead in her tracks. And you turned and said, who said that? Rupert? Did Rupert say that? But it it was Jamie because, of course, he has... Scars, scars all over all his over, body. Yeah. But this guy was like, he channeled Rupert to me. He was like burly Rupert. Oh, he, but he very... was very romantic, the way he spoke about his wife, Olivia. Rupert was romantic? He was a sexy man. Well, to you, he was romantic. But to mo- he wasn't. There was he had no romantic involvement, except Just... to Angus. I mean, whatever. Yeah. I mean... And even then, like, y- you know that Rupert, like, he... Just because Rupert couldn't find love... Doesn't, doesn't mean, mean that he, he didn't yeah. have a lot in his heart. You could you could write heart. a side fan fiction about Rupert and Maybe his I have. eye patch. Maybe and his... I have. <laughs> Anyways, Claire is then back in time and she's taking out the first of one of the Beardsley twins' tonsils. And I really like this scene. Did you like this scene? Yeah, yeah, I liked it a she lot. She creates the penicillin. She gives him the penicillin to stop infection. And then she goes through the step by step. I feel, I've now watched it twice, and I feel like I could maybe, if you needed me to, for example, I could remove your tonsils. Because I, you, you put the cork in. Yeah, I know. You got I know, this. yeah. And then she does it really quickly. Yeah. And she just has a bowl under his chin. They did a great job because, like, with the blood gushing out of his mouth, like, it looked pretty legit yeah uh yeah it was a it was a really well done like from a technical effects level like it looked great mm-hmm. looked very like the way the blood was kind of like and it was dark yeah. yeah like the dark blood was gushing out like it, it looked it looked really i mean okay i'm gonna say it looked real i've never seen it but it looked mm-hmm. looked pretty legit to me yeah yeah then roger is comforting jemmy he knocks over a box he finds the stone at this point, there's more voiceover, which I always love, but there's a lot about spiders, and I I don't even understand what she's talking about, but I, I like that she I hear her voice. Did you follow the spiders and the shaking of the spiders and... I'm not going to lie, I have no idea what you're talking about right now. Okay, it was, it was what was happening with her voiceover, <laughs> and the first time, I didn't really pay attention, and the second time, I realized that I was really enjoying it, but I was not following it at all. Apparently, it was riveting. <laughs> what was the scene that it was over? When Roger found the stone that oh. Stephen Bonnet had given Bree. So I think yeah. she's making reference to spiders and their webs, and lies are interwoven. Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, was, I didn't I, understand. I think but... I was paying attention to what was actually happening right. on screen. It was a little too, yeah. Little... Yeah. I mean, I really liked it, even even not following it. And then we have a flashback to Stephen Bonnet and Roger playing cards, and you said it was a really nice cut. Yeah, it was really cool. The way that uh, so Roger holds up the stone and is looking at it, and it's like a really shallow uh, depth of field, so you can't see Roger's face. And then when they so it's Roger, and then they do like a when they comes back into focus, it's Stephen Bonnet. Like it looked really cool. Hmm. It was a really nice work, editor. It, uh, it looked it looked great. Yeah. So Bonnet is cheating 
and Roger basically has to let him do yeah, it. They're playing some sort of card game, and Bonnet obviously cheats. And, and Roger calls him out on it. Yeah, and Bonnet is just like, you're wrong. And Roger's like, I am. And Bonnet's like, that's the right call. Well, it's because at the time, that's a flashback to when Roger was on his ship. Yeah, exactly. Like, he would throw him over. Yeah, at the very best, Best, best case scenario. Best case scenario, he's alive on the way over the, the ed, right. edge. Brianna comes home. First of all, she's wearing pants. Did you notice that she was wearing pants? I did not notice her pants. I like that. Yeah. Because obviously, if you're Brianna, you are going to put on pants if you're looking for mushrooms outside. Yeah. I didn't, however, like the interaction between her and Roger because he holds it up. Where did yeah. you get this? And he's acting accusatory and she's acting guilty. It's Dark Streak Roger. I just think Ro- I was going to ask Rankin... you because we didn't talk about this, but no, I felt a Dark Streak. It was there. Dark Streak Roger again. And but I it's think... not just him. It's also it's also Sophie Skelton because she plays scared victim. Yeah, she's like Roger. I'm sorry, and it's like no. Why why are you two behaving like an abusive couple? Like why are you quivering in the corner when he asks you a question? Yeah, just respond like. Do you remember when you left me alone in the middle of the night in the 1700s and I got violently raped? Yeah. Because of that. Well, I mean, that's the writing, right? They can't do anything about that. They can only... It's the television writing. Yeah, they can only do the lines that are on the page within reason. But, like, it's the... It's more the way they carry themselves. Like you said, they really do. That's a good way to put it. They really do degenerate into some sort of weird, abusive couple thing. And I mean, maybe that's what they want. They being the showrunners. I don't think they do. I feel like it's a bad misinterpretation. And I also don't like that he keeps asking her, like, do you think that he's Stephen Bonnets? And it's like, I'm so, like, you should it's a 50 50 chance and he should know that and he should know that she knows that well it's like and i don't think it's out of character for roger to be or like out of the realm of possibility that roger would be upset that she had had contact with Stephen bonnet and didn't tell him but only for her safety right right but i'm just saying like but i just feel like the way that that character gets upset is kind of it does just doesn't go with the rest of his character. As yeah, it's I was really uncomfortable. Like at one point, she reaches up and cradles his face, and he pushes her hands away, and yeah. he storms away. It's like she has not done anything wrong. I find it as as I find it very upsetting. Mean Roger. I thought that that's the note I made in the scene. <laughs> mean, mean Roger. Roger. <laughs> Off putting. Yeah. So. Yeah, and when he says, what do you truly believe, she doesn't respond. And, she, like, if he had asked me, if I were, if I was Brianna and he had asked me, I would have a lot right. to respond to when he asked me that. Yeah, well, the silence, silence tells all there. Well, the silence, the silence implies guilt. And it's, there's nothing for her to feel guilty about. It's true. Then we're back in a happier time. We're back in 1960s. Claire is pulling up to the church and she's wearing those great glasses. And again, we commented on how she's crushing the 1960s. And then she goes into the church. She sits down. She and the minister have a quick chat. I mean, it was a nice enough conversation. No one is lost who is, who's not forgotten. No one is forgotten. Not, what's the expression? Got me. You know what it is. She said, he reminded me of someone I lost. And right. the minister says... No one is lost who's not forgotten. Okay. That's what he says. That's the expression. 
And a good one it is. And a good one it is. And um, then we're back to Roger after his temper tantrum. He's sleeping against a tree with a little fire beside him. And Claire comes around the corner, scaring the bejesus out of him because, of course, he's right. got bonnet on his brain. Yeah, so he's got the gun out. He's cocked and locked and ready to rock. And then Claire comes out. And he yeah. He's like, Jesus, to... Claire, I probably would have missed you, but still. And I love that they threw that line in. Yes. Like, just, you know, if you're going to suck like that, like, at least own it. Yeah. And the you know? way he delivers that line, guys. This is why I love Richard Rankin, despite mean Roger moments, because that's Roger. Like, and he kind of like pointed towards the gun when he said it. Like he's, you know, he's baffled and charming and he shouldn't be mean when he has conversations with Brianna. Yet there we are. Yet there we are. He was trying. He's, you know, I mean, I think the thing is, is that really, truly he's in love with Claire. I mean, they have the best scenes yep. together. He, he has the he has far better chemistry with Claire than he does with Brianna. I mean, what male is not in love with Claire, though? I mean... Or female, for that matter. Actually, no, women don't like her as much. No. And she certainly does not like women no, as no. much. Yeah, no, I think all women dislike the Claire, at yeah. least in the show. So Roger and Claire sit down side by side, and the two of them have a heart-to-heart about marriage and adoption, etc. And mm-hmm. there's obviously major parallels between... Frank raising Brianna and Roger realizing that Jemmy is probably Bonnet's, but he loves him and will raise him. Right. Then he comes home to Brianna, and I, it all was a wash, sort of. Yeah, he comes home. He's got a peace home, offering. He's, he's got, got like mushrooms. A log full of mushrooms. And he says, and I wrote this down, oh. I'm sorry, Brianna. I'm sorry for everything. And I think we've all been waiting for these words from Roger. I mean, yeah, I don't think he's ever said sorry. No. And she tells him that Bonnet is still alive. And I love the moment when she says Mrs. Bug spoke to an Irishman and Roger's freaking out. And then he's like, no, wait, that could have been anyone. Mrs. Bug is a busybody. Like, we (laughs) don't need to freak out about this. Heavy play for the bugs in this episode. Mr. Bug got some play. Mm -hmm. Mrs. Bug got a name drop. Mm -hmm. All the bug lovers out there. Bugs are big. Bugs are big in the books. The bugs are big in the books. So they know that they need to. (laughs) I can't. They know that they need to have them in there. Like obviously because it's it's a limited time period. The bugs are not going to be as big in the show. But they know to the viewers. Have the bugs gotten more lines than Fergus? No. Mrs. Bug got some lines. Fergus has been getting one or two lines per episode yeah he's picking it up yeah he is and if if he doesn't have a line he has like a darted look over at jamie he's he's getting some heavy darted looks yes. for sure yeah like, he's getting we didn't even talk about when he saw Murta's face on the wall you could see he was uncomfortable yeah. too dart 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 a lot of darties yeah <laughs> yeah so then he you know when when roger realizes yep okay so bonnet's alive he thinks my son is his he's haunting brianna he puts his arms around her and he declares that they're going to use the gem that Bonnet gave her to get them all to safety. And then he hugs her. And Brianna has this look on her face like, no, I can't leave. But why not, Joe? Yeah, I don't know why. I guess she loves her dad and doesn't want to and leave her mom. him. Yeah, I guess she knows. Well, I mean, she's bailed on her mom a few times and vice versa. But I think it's that she finally has her dad. I think it's more of a Jay Frey thing. I don't know. I don't really get it. It's like, yeah. Um, you know why you don't get it? Behind. It's because of some of the 
television interpretation. For example, Brianna traveled back in time to find her mother and she found her mother and in the show, Claire, the doctor, the 20th century doctor, then leaves her alone, pregnant, to deliver the baby without her. That is that is not a close connection. That is no. not something that a mother would do. And it's not something that Claire does in the books. And yeah. that's one of the reasons why that was such a... And again, like, I don't know how she was in the books, but in the show, Claire is a shit mom. I've said yeah. that before. She is a shit mom, in my opinion. Well, I don't she's, think she's, she's a done shit mom. A, but... a lot of unmotherly... I mean... Yeah. Leaving her while pregnant to, I mean, she went to get Roger, but they could have arranged it in a different way. Right. So there you have it. What, however, however it is, Brianna does not want to leave Claire and she doesn't want to leave Jamie. And I don't think she wants to leave the life there that they have. And for some reason she likes it and I'm not sure why. They should, they should explain that to us because we've both felt perplexed a little bit because there's now been twice where Roger has said that to her and she looks all all nervous yeah so then we have jamie and Knox together jamie learns that it's a pardon for everyone except Murta. right so he's gonna hang he, Murta will hang yeah and jamie says to Knox, i really wish i could come with you to help you find him right and Knox is so charming he just puts his hand up and he says don't even worry about me you go be with your family. Yeah, he's like disband the militia. Yeah, Bring I got me the this. logbooks yeah. and just. You. Well, and he's like, and give give all of the regulators these letters of pardon. Yeah, and there's a really cool moment where Jamie kind of furrows his brow and he's like, I'm not a sheriff. Why yeah, am like, I? Why do I have to like, do I'm this? Like king of men. That's like king, I'm a king of, of men, but I shouldn't have to do this shit. Like you can see, he's old timey UPS. Yeah. Fuck off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's kind of like irritated. Yeah, he's he like, was. Why would this be me? I'm a sheriff. So then we have one more flashback to Claire and Graham Menzies, and it's, it's a pretty charming one. And at that point, I could I could see that he was reminding Claire of Jamie. He talked about Scotland, but his love of his wife. And as she walks out, she says, I'm going to give you a test for the anti, or I'm going to give you a round of antibiotics, and then I'll come back and do the surgery. So we'll see you on Friday. And he run, says... Run a penicillin. Oh, yeah. Run it. What did I say? Antibiotics. Yeah. And she walks out, and he says... It's a date. And right before she touches his shoulder, because even you said, oh, he's charmed Claire because she touches, yeah. she touches him. Yeah. He got a touch. He got, he got a touch on the shoulder. So then Jamie arrives at Knox's bedroom, I guess, his room. Yeah. To play chess. That's right. Well, well no. He, he arrives he, just to. He's just dropping off those documents. Knox right. is like, why don't you come play some chess? Jamie says, okay. And it's funny because the second time I watched it, I thought neither of these men have any idea how this is going to end up. Right. And I do, I mean, Knox is very likable. You know, they're... Yeah, he's a super nice nice guy, or at least on the surface. Yeah. And then it starts, there's a lot of cuts in this episode because then it goes back to Claire. She learns that Graham Menzies has died. She's very angry. Has a super freak out. She does yeah. for Claire. And you don't yeah. want to be the person on the other end of... No. Because the other, the it girl's just, like, I'm yeah. really sorry. Like, I I'm, just started. I just started. I'm new. And Claire's like, that's like, not an excuse. Bangs her fists and storms yeah. away. And then she's sitting alone in a bar and who walks up to comfort her? Joe. Joe Abernathy That's arrives right. and you Joe screamed <laughs> and you screamed Joe 
because it was so great to see him. I you know, he was this like you always say that they have these great secondary characters mm-hmm. on Outlander, and they don't use them enough. No, and so they sure don't. I think it's wonderful that Joe was back in this flashback, as he should have been. Because he, oh, what were we I was say? just gonna say, and he got a, like they had a great scene together too. It wasn't just like they saw each other in the hallway. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't just like a throwback. It was yeah. He had a great scene with like some great dialogue and yeah. No. Yeah, and he reads the romance novels and leaves them there so that yeah. she can read them, which makes sense because you know they're they have this extremely high pressure, very tense job. They just want to completely relax, and what better way to escape them with a romance right. novel, right? So it's a cute scene. It's really nice to see him. I hope that they continue to do this because, I mean, this won't happen because I was thinking if Tobias Menzies was ever going to show up again, at least in this season, it would have been in this episode. Do you agree with that? Oh, yeah. Like they would have made, he didn't have to be dead. Well, I mean, I think for the time frame that it was supposed to be, I I don't know. But yeah, they could have. I feel like they could have made it work. Yeah. Maybe not. Because yeah, you're right. He was, Graham Menzies and her relationship with him was the impetus to meeting yeah to meeting or to taking brianna to london and then meeting roger and then finding jamie so i guess he did have to be dead dead but i don't think he's showing up again which is a cry and shame because in the book frank is ever present and there's lots of flashbacks and memories of him so if tobias menzies wasn't you know incredible and like having a very successful role on the crown I bet right. he would show He's up. He's got some other stuff going on. Yeah, getting nominated for Golden Globes right. and everything else. Then we're back to the chess game. Yeah. And Knox's, um, his list arrives. Mm-hmm, yeah. Of the Ardsmere prisoners. And Jamie is so cool in this scene. He doesn't even flinch. He just says, you'll find my name on that prison roll. Yeah. And then it all goes downhill. Oh, like yeah. at first, well, Knox tries to. He's like, oh yeah, there's a million Jamie Frasers in Scotland, I'm sure. And Jamie's like, no, that's me. For yeah. real. <laughs> <laughs> Only one from Brock Turok. Yeah. You're also gonna notice a fairly significant relationship between that's right. Murta and me. Yeah, it says Murta's name is Fraser. Yeah, like it was. It, it all went downhill, and uh, the well, lieutenant, what's his name? Knox. Knox. I don't know why it slipped me there, but mm-hmm. yeah. So Knox, he just turns on Jamie like immediately, like is aghast and is almost he's he almost seems hurt. I you think know, like, he is. I think he's going through a lot of things. What's interesting watching it the second time for me is Jamie knows before the viewer knows what he's going to do. Watching it the second time, you can see as soon as the Ardsmere prison list arrives. You can see he's like, oh, man, like this is this is happening. Whereas when you're watching it the first time, you're like, what's going to happen? How is he going to play this? But he's already decided what he's going to have to do. Right. Well, and it's interesting because did Jamie go there hoping that the list would show up? You know, like like if that I list had shown Jay up Fre- when he was gone. He, is, he works fast on his feet. I guess. He's a, he's a multi-layered onion. Yes. So, so um So... This is the, the, another one of those Outlander things that, that always throws me. So Jamie sits down. They make a point of this. When he sits down at the beginning oh, to play yeah. chess, <laughs> he takes his gun out of his uh, out of his belt and he sets it down like with the the uh, handle hill. Like, what can't I can't remember what it's called. But basically, trigger end first mm-hmm. facing Knox and they play chess. 
And Knox gets up and he's like, you dastard. And he reaches down and he grabs a knife. There's a gun right there. Why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you pick up the gun? They literally made a point of putting the that gun surprised me on too. the table. Do you know why I think they did that? I don't know. Because I think they were trying to show you that Knox, he didn't want to kill Jamie. He didn't. If he did, he would have picked up the gun. That's probably why they showed you the gun. And Jamie, I don't think, wanted to kill Knox. And also, when he realized that he was going to kill him, right. he couldn't do it with a gun. I know, but why would you pick up a gun and leave the, or sorry, pick up the knife and leave the gun on the table oh, for so the Jamie other guy to defi- pick up. Yeah, I see, to do self-defense. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you don't, you pick up the gun. Even if you don't want to kill him, you still you want the take gun. the gun. That's <laughs> right. There's a saying, you do not bring a knife to a gunfight. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and generally, if you're in the army, you probably have heard that one before. Yeah. So that's just one of those classic, like, outlander ding-dong maneuvers that I don't, I don't know why understand. they did that. Like, especially it didn't since they made me. a point of showing they the did, gun. They did. Most certainly like, they did. It's, yeah, it's they did. just, it's, I don't know. Okay. But this is a really cool scene. And I feel now that Sam Hewen is the producer, he's like, let's make Jay Frey a little bit tougher. Because I don't think he likes you calling him the king of knitting. No. Or the king of midwifery. Or all the other things that you... Sam Hewen listens for (laughs) sure. Hey, Sam. Shout out. So I really like the way... No, you didn't like the way that they portrayed the killing part. Because you're like, he wouldn't kill him that way. That's not how you do a chokehold. Yeah, I mean, I've never killed a man with right. my bare hands, but I've watched enough MMA to know that that wouldn't even, that would barely choke any human. So you were all. acting at this point Like I was pretty, just annoyed again. You were annoyed and a little bit unimpressed, but then you That's couldn't help yourself. And you were like, that guy does fake dead like a motherfucker, oh. though. <laughs> yeah. You were so annoyed, and then you keep watching, and he does. Yeah, when he put him on the bed, he was like, Ugh, you can't see my face right now. But yeah, it's like, Ugh. like he, he did fake dead, seriously. Like, he was selling he it. Oh, really he good job. He face-acted the shit out yeah. of that death. Yeah, so. Jamie burns the documents. He closes the fireplace, the flue, the yeah. flu, and then he climbs out the window. So it gets so that it fills with smoke, so then They he's... assume that he died of smoke inhalation. Yeah, exactly. Crafty Jay Frey. Very crafty. And yeah. as he jumps down, he lands next to... The cutest cat I've ever seen. <laughs> Joe's a cat cat lover, guys, I mean, I'm an so... animal lover. Mm-hmm. And this cat Brilliant was adorbs. I just want to tell you, quick side note, when I was uh, younger, <laughs> I had a gray cat named Boots, Boutros, who I loved. This And he was a fluffy little gray kitten, and he was the most awesome cat in the world. And this little kitten reminded me so much of of Boots, who was awesome. So immediately, I was a huge fan. Yeah, and then you were so happy when Jay Frey arrives home and he gives Claire Adso. He calls her Adso because he also had a cat when he was younger. And uh, you were so happy. You were like, he brought the cat. (laughs) I love that cat. That was a great cat. Yeah. And then back in 1960s, Claire has taken a leave of absence after losing Graham Menzies, and she asks Brianna to go to London with her. She said, your father wanted to take you. Let me take you instead. So it begins. Yeah. Claire gives the cat, Adso, the milk, and we realize that Graham Menzies' death is the whole reason why she's there and why Brianna's there and why Roger is in their life again. And Jamie, it is touching. Jamie and Claire embrace, and Jamie's like, I have a lot to tell you. Also, I killed a dude, by the way. (laughs) Great story. Enjoy your cat. And then it ends with more voiceover. Claire says, 
You know, when I do go, I'm going to ask God about everything in his universe, but I won't ask him about the nature of time because I've already lived it. That's, right. That's so clear too to arrive in front of God and be, and be like, like, "I'm going to stop you right there." I got this because I know maybe you would like to ask me some questions. Yeah. If you have questions That's for me, right. I'd be happy to answer. <laughs> I have a few questions that are more important than what you're trying to explain to me right now. That's right. But that's the end of the episode. That is. And it was a great episode. So, MVP. MVP. Let's give it to... Uh, I want to give it to that Scottish dude. Graham Menzies. Yeah, he. I didn't... When we first talked about him, I didn't... He was another great Second side year, character. Like, he was... He was really good. He was charming. He was, like... Believable. Very believable and, you know, kind of, like... Like, a little bit swarthy, but at the same time... Charming. harmless mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. like and i think claire felt that as well mm-hmm. um uh, maybe not well i guess he was mvp because he was in a fair like we we flashed back to him a few times like enough that you kind of like claire said to the the priest uh in that scene uh, that you know even though he was essentially a stranger she felt mm. uh you know an attachment to him and yeah. same thing where even though we didn't really know this character he was good enough that we felt an attachment to him yeah my mvp is Knox. yeah you know that's a good pick Knox was great also i want to throw uh out a shout out to um stephen bonnet because even though that character only had one scene it was a great scene like that dude oh, yeah he just he's like here's the thing some people because he's not a big guy like oh, I know. that, he's that tiny, actor, I think. Yeah. he's like a little scrawny, skinny dude. Does he scare but like, you though? He's a scary dude. No, like he like can, like some people just like Tobias Menzies, same thing. He's not like an intimidating guy, mm. but it, like he has like he has the ability to look like a scary fucking guy. And same thing with Bonnet. Like when he was Bonnet, whatever, <laughs> Jimmy Pirate. Um, yeah. When uh, when he you know he, when he was like saying to Roger like. I believe you're mistaken. Like, like he is a scary dude. Were you like, say you're mistaken, say you're mistaken. <laughs> That's what Roger thought for sure. Like he just, he does a great job of, yeah. of some people can just play bad guy and yeah. that guy's got it. And honestly, I miss the bad guys in these shows. Mm-hmm. Like even though out of all the bad guys that the shows had, and I say all the bad guys, but there's really only been two other ones. Um, like, I he's by far Stephen Bonnet is by far the most over the top like like you know <laughs> huh, yeah like twist my mustache yeah. bad guy yeah. but I'm ready for it like I miss yeah. Blackjack Evil Randall I miss I miss you know like naked ass Galus in a pool of blood being all wicked and oh, evil yeah. witch yeah you liked her uh, no that was a that was a great it was a creepy scene yeah that was a, I like that episode a lot also shout out to Young Ian who I really miss. I miss him too. I miss his smile. Okay, so what would you give this episode out of 100? I mean, I don't know. It was... Uh, I feel more a love for this episode in the recap that I did actually watching it. Mm-hmm. I feel good. like it was it was sort of like a stronger episode on paper than it actually played out on the screen. So I'm going to give it a solid uh, 50. Like, it oh wasn't goodness. a bad episode, okay. but I yep. would never... Even I won't think about it again for the rest of my life. Okay. I'd give it a 96. Whoa. Yeah, we're back 96. in the 90s. We sure are. Yeah. Holy bananas. Some Look at that. Excellent okay. episode. Really? Yeah. 96. I'm ready for some stuff to happen. We need some drama. Yeah. What was your favorite scene? Um, The one with Bonnet and Roger. Okay. The cards. Okay. My favorite scene was 
probably with Jamie and Knox when they were playing chess because I didn't see it coming and I just really liked that. Yeah, that was a strong, that would be a strong second as well. Yes. Least favorite scene? Uh, least favorite scene was Roger and Brianna at the beginning. Same. Well, yeah. Or the, the fight. M- or the Oh, Burks I thought, oh, you were thinking like the post-coital. Yeah, the post-coital. Right, because that went on talk. for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, mine was the fight because I was getting yeah. uncomfortable. Just really any Roger Brianna scene. Yeah. They're not, it's it's just, it's oil and water. Right. Okay. Yeah. There we have it. And there we have it. Yet another episode of Lloydlander, the most unofficial Outlander podcast on the internet or anywhere. Stay safe, everyone. Yeah, hopefully you're in a 14-day quarantine and we're making it just a bit easier for you. Yeah. Have a good night. Okay, bye.